is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We want to say a big thanks to the title sponsor of The Big Show, that, of course, is Big O. Stop by your locally owned and operated Big O Tires. Save $150 off Big O brand tires with your Big O credit card now through May 31st. Big O Tires, the team you trust. We're going to talk to Mannix coming up here momentarily. Get his thoughts on uh, everything everything that's going on surrounding the Utah Jazz right now, which seems to be a lot. It does seem it to be a lot, doesn't it? Be. You know, every year it seems like in the playoffs something, something comes up. It's just a little different. Well, I mean, this one is definitely different. I mean, the Donovan. Speaking of the Donovan Mitchell situation, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, wanting to play, somehow not playing, not being allowed to play, being mad about it, leaking stories. I mean, it's 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 definitely unique. Yes, it is. All right, Chris is ready to roll. Austin, let's hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Chris, hello. How are you? What's happening, guys? Nothing out here, you know, nothing at all. Nothing uh, going on. You know, Chris, you write, you write a story about the jazz and how it's like uh, everything is wonderful, and then next thing you know, people are fighting over being able to play or not. Well, compared to last year, this is like a CW drama, <laughs> you know, compared to the, the level of issues the team had last season. Um, you know, I, I don't know where, what to say about, you know, what, what happened there. I mean, the Jazz staff wants him to play. I believe them to be just, you know, anxious about re-injury. We saw with LeBron James uh, coming back a little bit too early, retweaked his ankle, out another week. And I think in part they probably thought they could steal one. You know, the, the Grizzlies were, you know, basically on the outside looking into the playoffs to fight their way in. I think they thought at home they could steal a game against Memphis. It, it ultimately backfired. But, I mean, come on, like did – I know, you know, Eric Waters, the head trainer, one of the best in the NBA. And that staff in general, you know, would do anything to have Donovan Mitchell at 100% out there on the floor. So, like, a player of Donovan's caliber is always going to want to play through stuff. It's oftentimes on training staff and management to uh, hold them out when they don't think they need to be held out. So, that, I think that was the case. And hopefully for Utah, it's just a, a minor bump uh, on the road to bigger things. When we talked to you last week, Chris, we didn't know who the Jazz were going to be playing. So give us uh, your thoughts on this matchup and how these two teams uh, uh, match up in this series. I mean, Memphis is tough. Um, you know, I voted before the end of the season for Dylan Brooks on my all-defensive team. You can see why. Like in the first two play-in games and in game one of of this series, he is a, a pest. Like He gets into you and he makes you work. Uh, every second you're out there on the floor. And that's probably what Donovan Mitchell is going to be up against 
going into game two, just a jersey full of Dylan Brooks, who's going to hound you uh, all over the floor. Not to mention what he was able to do, <coughs> excuse me, offensively in game one. So they've got weapons. Uh, I think they're peaking at the right time. Getting Jaron Jackson back a month before the end of the season was huge for them. John Barrett is obviously, you know, approaching that superstar status. Maybe not superstar, but star status. Uh, in this league. So, you know, they've got a lot of weapons. Like, you're not going to just roll over them like a traditional eight seed. Uh, they're going to contest every single night. And you have to, you know, make sure you don't play at their pace and you've got to be real tight defensively to to keep them off you. What kind of difference do you think Donovan will make in this game? I mean, we saw him play all year. We know what he's capable of. But going up against Brooks, how do you think it'll go? I mean, I- enormous. I mean, we've, we've talked all season long about Donovan Mitchell being the guy to – carry the Jazz through any kind of, you know, uh, sluggish time offensively. Just, you know, pick them up when need to and be that guy in the fourth quarter. They, they've been able to get by pretty well without him. Bogdanovich playing the way he has has been a part of it. Mike Conley is a part of it. Gobert is a part of it. Um, but, you know, they, these these are the, the moments that you need Donovan Mitchell. Look, you know, Brooks is great, but, you know, a great offensive player will beat a great defensive player almost every time. Yeah, you know, it's just the way it is. I mean, Steph Curry had to work hard in that game, uh, the last playing game, but he still got his numbers in that game. So I fully expect Mitchell to get his numbers. I think the key numbers to watch are going to be, you know, field goal percentage. Like, can Dylan Brooks force Mitchell to shoot in the low 40s or somewhere in that range? If he does, no matter what Mitchell gets, you're probably going to call that a win if you're Memphis. Um, if, he, if Mitchell's able to shoot a high percentage, uh, it's a win for Utah and probably win the game for Utah. You know, I think uh, game one was an interesting game. The Jazz didn't shoot the ball well. They turned the ball over in the first half and some things that they can kind of button up with, a, a, you know, a practice and, and maybe a little more focus. Uh, the biggest issue, I thought, was in, when it came down to the fourth quarter and John Morant had the ball and the Jazz needed a stop, they couldn't get it. So, I mean, what, you know, Jaw isn't the perfect player. How do you, how do you, do you just run three guys at him and get the ball out of his hands? I mean, what's the best way to go when it comes down to it? You know, it's, it's a tough call. Um, they do have some shooters on that team, so I don't know if I'd you know, just try to force the ball out of his hands. I think for a young player, the key is going to be showing him different looks, you know, make him think when he's out there on the floor, you know, make him see things he's never seen before. And that's you know, an advantage when you're a good coaching staff, having seven games to dig into just one team. That's where coaching comes into play. So I think that's a big part of it. And look, as much as John Morant was – the issue, you know, this has been a three-point bombing team all season long, and that can be affected in the playoffs. We've talked about this. we got to make threes. <laughs> you can't be this volume-shooting three-point team and shoot what they shot in game one. It's as simple as that. Like, they make, you know, 5% more of those threes, they probably win the game. So, uh, I think if you're Utah, you know, settle in. Uh, don't get kind of overwhelmed by the moment and make those shots that you've been making uh, all season long. If they shoot the way they did from three again in game two – it's going to be challenging for them to win. It really is. What's your evaluation, Chris, of Valanciunas? Uh, useful, that's for sure. Um, you know, I mean, especially when you're going up against a team with a big like Gobert, um, I think he's fit in in Memphis a lot better than at least I anticipated. I thought he'd be kind of a situational guy. He's turned into a, an all-four-quarters uh, type of guy. So big physical, can play through him in the post, Easy opportunities, offensive rebounds pretty well. Uh, just solid all the way around. And, you know, it, 
I was having this conversation with somebody the other day when it came to the Warriors, like in James Wiseman, like you need a player like Valanciunas and Wiseman to go up against Utah and Phoenix and the Lakers in the Western Conference. Um, a guy like that is is pretty useful. Taking a break from the Jazz and the Grizz for a sec here, Chris. Um, Austin and I both thought Miami was going to be a bit of a sleeper going into the playoffs, and they're down 2-0 to the Bucks and got thumped last night. Do they have a shot still, or are the Bucks rolling? No, I mean, they have a shot. You know, Milwaukee's going to have to go to Miami and win on their home floor, and Miami's not the type of team to get, you know, flustered by what happened. But, yeah, the Bucks have been telling any reporter that will listen, myself included, that they are a better team this year than they were last year. I've had this conversation with John Horst, and I have parroted kind of his comments to me over and over again because I believe them. Like, they, they may not have had the best record or a, a better record they had last year, but they're a better team. Like, Drew Holiday, as you saw, makes them a better team. He's a far, far more consistent player than Eric Bledsoe. Giannis didn't win MVP or won't win MVP, but he put up monster numbers once again. The shooters on that team are really good. Chris Middleton can create his own shot better this year, I think. I mean, they're complete. They really are. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be questions about Giannis and and can he get his own shot in the fourth quarter and the free throws, how big an issue is that going to be in a close game? But they're better than what they were last year. They're mentally tougher than what they were last year. And, you know, Miami, which, you know, beat them pretty soundly in the playoffs last season, they're, they're seeing a different team out there. And, and for all those reasons, Miami's going to have to find something to, to change things up to, to get back in the series. Who do you like in that Nuggets-Blazers series? Uh, that Joker guy, he's pretty good. <laughs> he's really good. I mean, yeah, like the, the first half of that game last night was like classic Portland. You know, Damian Lillard has 33 points, I think it was, and the Blazers are down 12 because their defense is terrible. Like, that's that's kind of what they are, at the, you know, right now. They can score with anybody. Lillard pulls up from everywhere. He is great offensively, but they can't stop anybody. Um, that being said, it is still a coin flip type of series. I mean, no Jamal Murray evens the odds. and you know, Every night you're wondering where the production is going to come from, from the Blazers guard or the Nuggets guards. You know, not just offensively, but you know, who's going to defend Lillard and McCollum? The answer so far is no one. Um, so, you know, the Denver is not infallible uh, at all. So Portland's got to feel pretty good splitting the series going back home. Uh, but they're going to have to get stops at some point because you can't give up 73 points and a half and you know, expect to win many playoff games. Not against a team that's, even without Jamal Murray, is as, as good as Denver. You know, it's funny, the 2-7 the matchup in the West, obviously, is the Lakers and the Suns. So the Suns, you know, the higher seed, they've got home court. Yet when the, the Suns won game one, the reaction seemed to be from everybody's surprise is just because it's the Lakers. I guess, who is the favorite in that series? You know, I, 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 I'm still saying the Lakers are favorite in every series until they get knocked off. Um, you know, and, and the Suns series could hinge on the health of Chris Paul. I mean, you know, Monty Williams has sent some signals out there that he's improving, but he was a one-handed player in the second half of game one. And, you know, the Suns were fortunate to pull it out. Devin Booker was playing out of his mind. DeAndre Ayton was the best big man on the floor. Um, You know, they they got good contributions all the way around, but Chris Paul as a one-handed player is not going to be successful. And you could see the grip on the ball wasn't there. Jump shot wasn't there. I'm really interested to see tonight what version of Chris Paul appears in this game. If it's a fully healthy version or 90% of it, um, the Suns have more than a puncher's chance here. Like, they're 
they're a really good team, and they do a lot of things that can cause the Lakers problems. But LeBron, AD, a healthy Lakers team, the more they play together, the better they're going to be. Uh, I still think the Lakers uh, have to be considered the favorite until, again, somebody knocks them off. And there's that other L.A. team. We've heard your opinion about the Clippers in the past. What do you make yeah. of Mavs clips? I mean, why, why is anybody surprised that the Clippers are in this position? Like, I'm just tired of hearing over and over again how the Clippers are improved and they're a real title contender. Well, I, I, you know, Kawhi Leonard even said it. I wrote this yesterday. Like, he said, you know, our success is based on what's between our ears. Like, are we mentally tough enough is what he was implying. And like, they lose game one. And now their entire season comes down to tonight. If they go down 0-2, guys, they ain't coming back. Not going to happen. Like, you're not winning four out of five against Dallas with no home court advantage. You're just not doing it. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see who steps up for this Clippers team and, you know, who looks like they want the ball in key moments. The Mavericks aren't going away. Like, they, they fought the Clippers tooth and nail last year, and – they were at a very depleted roster. I mean, Porzingis went out after game three. Doncic had a bad ankle. Hardaway wasn't the player he was this year. Jalen Brunson wasn't the player he was this year. They're vastly improved. So they went into the series with confidence. Uh, so uh, the Clippers are going to have to hit back pretty hard. And I don't know. I, I don't know if they have the, the mental toughness to do it. But, you know, make no mistake, like, it's, it's almost hyperbolic, but the future of the franchise is at stake here. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's a free agent after the season. Everybody keeps assuming that he's going to come back. I don't know why. Like, I've done two magazine profiles on Kawhi Leonard. I barely know the guy. Like, anyone that thinks they know what he thinks, you're just wrong. So, uh, you know, Kawhi, as an unrestricted free agent this summer, after back-to-back years of bowing out early, I wouldn't be confident that he's going to come back. And if he doesn't, what do you do? You have no draft picks. You've only got Paul George. You've got some really no young talent on that roster outside of Zubach. You know, this is this is a massive game for the L.A. Clippers. They've, they've got to win this one tonight to have any chance of winning the series. I know you've got a close eye on the Celtics-Nets series. Um, is is Brooklyn going to be the buzzsaw that they looked like they're going to be in game one? Well, I mean, they look like it at times, right? Like, in the first half, they looked like they exactly like a team that never played together. Like, they, they were out of sorts all over the place. And then the Celtics, who are a very flawed team without uh, Jalen Brown, uh, they couldn't get enough stops, and nobody besides, you know, like Jason Tatum and a couple other guys were making shots. So, yeah, that's the Celtics' big problem. I mean, Kemba Walker was 5 of 16, Evan Fournier 3 of 10. You can't have that and expect to beat beat the Nets. So I'm just, you know, I'm just curious to see how the Nets gel in the next week to 10 days. Like, do they get better as they go along? Does the Kyrie, uh, James Harden, Kevin Durant trio, uh, do they find some, some more chemistry after only playing like seven, eight games together? during the regular season. They're definitely not infallible either. I mean, the Celtics kind of with a good defensive game plan made them look kind of silly at times in the first half. And other teams with better personnel are probably going to have equal to more success. So, uh, you know, I think the Nets certainly showed some things and like showed when they get going, they're really hard to stop, especially the start of the third quarter when they just ran the Celtics over coming out of the locker room. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're still a team that is, has, has the ability to be beaten and, and beaten pretty easily. Chris, do you think the Jazz come back to beat uh, Memphis? And if it, if it's going to happen, what has to occur? I do. Um, I just think they're a better team. And as long as Mitchell is I don't know, 80, 85 percent of what he once was, and he's not, you know, hobbling on that ankle or uncertain on that ankle, uh, I think they'll find ways to win. I mean, give the Grizzlies credit, I and mean, they came in and won a big game. But I just I think the way the Jazz have defended all season long. 
that's going to come back. Having your go-to score back on the floor is going to make everything easier for everybody else. I just think you're going to see a more fluid and responsive Jazz team uh, in this game too. And look again, it's all contingent on you know Mitchell not hesitating. I mean, we saw LeBron again. Not to bring it back full circle, but we saw LeBron when he came back early. A little hesitant, not as sure of himself, not going to the basket quite as hard. You can't have that if you're Donovan Mitchell. You've got to be relentless, going to the rim, attacking, getting to the free throw line, you know, driving kicks, all that stuff that, that made him great during the regular season. You've got to have all that. And but but if they do, you know, I not only think they can win the series, they will win the series. I think they'll they could win it in five, maybe six games if, if they're all the way back. You know, you mentioned LeBron, uh, Chris, uh, such a great player for so long, um, but. The drama. I mean, it, it, it kind of kicks Jake and me straight in the face. I don't know. Is it? Is he always on stage? Is that what the root of that is? Or and does it bother you at all? Or is it nothing at all? I think it, it diminishes the accomplishment just a hair, right? Like, I mean, the shot he made to beat Golden State was ridiculous. You don't need to say like I was seeing triple and shot in the middle. Like, come on, <laughs> like this is not a movie. Like, I mean, that that's it's. I'm sure that his eye was was bothering him, but I don't believe he was seeing three reps. I, I don't believe that. Uh, so it, it kind of, you know, it's like he's looking for the narrative, looking for the storyline that's out there. I mean, but that's small potatoes. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He's in his mid-30s, and he's doing things that no player in their mid-30s has ever done before. Uh, he's still an unstoppable force when he's out there on the floor and healthy. Just, you know, credit Phoenix for having a really good game plan, you know, to, to slow the Lakers down and enough offensive firepower with, you know, Booker and Aiton and all those those jump shooters, Cam Johnson, uh, to beat him. But he's, yeah, LeBron's still he's just a generational talent. We're, we're just not going to see anybody like him for a very long time. Uh, the drama, I described it to Gordon Chris as uh, LeBron's uh, viewing things as if from the lens of the documentary 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the last dance. He, yeah. You know, this is like, oh, it's a play-in game. And look, he's, he's, look, he didn't set it up this way, but if the Lakers win a championship this year, it might be the greatest accomplishment he's ever had. I mean, going from the seventh seed, being part of a play-in, and then winning a championship, he would have gone from winning a bubble championship to winning uh, a championship as a seventh seed. Combine that with coming back from 3-1 down to beat the Warriors, that's like, that's the trifecta right there. That's the triple crown of, of great accomplishments. So he's, he got it. Like, it's just you know, how he kind of embellishes it. I think that, uh, that I would say it bothers me per se, but you notice it. Do you think it stems from the fact that he's had a camera on him from the time he was, what, 13 years old? Yeah, and, and by the way, never done. He's been under more of a microscope than any athlete in sports history, including Tiger Woods. Like, he has been under the hottest of lights since he was 15 years old, probably. And what has he done that's been bad besides this stuff, like the goofy little narrative-driving stuff? He doesn't have anything criminal, and there's nothing bad. That, he, that he's really ever done. Maybe the, like we hold, what we hold against LeBron or stuff like that and like the decision from back in 2010, which was a dumb TV show idea that was originated by young guys that, you know, thought they were doing the right thing. Uh, that's it, though. <laughs> that's it. And that's, that, to me, that's as much an accomplishment as any for LeBron to, to be the kind of role model that he is and, and the leader that he is, despite the fact that he is the most scrutinized athlete ever. Uh, I find that to be just as remarkable as anything else. Chris, thank you as always. Have a great week. You got it, guys. Our friend Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. What he says is largely true. I mean, LeBron is such a great player. Um, it, it kind of overwhelms the rest, and yet 
the seeing three baskets thing. See, just, I, you I, can't get rid of it. It's just it, you want to get rid of it. it. It's like no, no, don't tag that on there. You don't need that. You know what it reminds me? Of? It reminds me of uh, someone who over decorates their Christmas tree. You know. It reminds me let, of somebody let the, who let the tree uh, breathe a little bit. You know, let some of the natural stuff come through. You don't have to throw tinsel all over every branch. It reminds me of somebody who really overcooks their anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't stand that. <laughs> all right, stay tuned. <laughs> it's the big show. We'll have more for you. Bowler at five. More coming up next. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. What? Time? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at 30 update. Ring the 30-point bell. Big news yesterday on the Jazz front. Jordan Clarkson has been named the NBA's sixth man of the year. Clarkson talk, uh, talked about what it takes. I mean, it, the approach had changed. Uh, you know, being a starter, knowing that you're going to get, you know, a bunch of minutes and opportunities to kind of, you know, do what you want. But I feel like I've kind of always been the same player, uh, taking my shots, uh, being aggressive, um, you know, make plays. Um, you know, that's kind of always been my MO and uh, something that I still do. So um, in terms of that, I don't feel like I really changed much. Um, but I know, um, you know, still growing in some areas, but I know when you know, what I got to do when I step on the floor and how to impact the game. Uh, uh, Julius Randle, by the way, a little breaking news, just named uh, the NBA's most improved player. The Jazz have game two in their series against the Grizzlies in this building here at Vivint Arena coming up tomorrow night. Tip-off will be at 8 o'clock. Pre-game begins at 7. This update brought to you by our friends at Syringa Networks. Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. I grind every day just so I can live a better life. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280. The Zone want to remind you about our friends at SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Gordon, taking a just a brief break from some jazz conversation here for a second. Why? Uh, are you are you aware of uh, the the nickname etiquette? Like you can't give yourself a nickname, that sort of thing. I just know that. Um, yeah. And uh, if if somebody, I guess this is this is just advice. Okay. If somebody gives you a nickname you don't like, uh huh. Don't say you don't like it. <laughs> because then they're just going to keep calling. Then it's going to stick. Have you been following this feud between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau? No. So it's been going on for a few years now, mm -hmm. all right? It goes back to a couple of years ago. Brooks made some public comments about how slow DeChambeau plays. When Bryson reemerged from the hiatus from the coronavirus as like a, uh, a, <laughs> a, a heaving <laughs> giant man, Kepka made a steroids joke online. Like, these, these guys just aren't 
Yeah, they, they don't like each other. Yeah. Pretty obvious that uh-huh. they don't like each other. Uh-huh. And then um, the, Kepka was doing a Golf Channel interview uh, for the PGA Championship, and this didn't make it to air, but the, the video's been leaked of Brooks um, doing an interview, and then Bryson walks kind of behind him and says something, and Brooks is rattled, and I, you know maybe we can play the, the audio a little later on, although it is riddled with cursing. But uh, <coughs> it was what? It, oh, his metal cleats that uh, that Lloyd's. Yeah, he wears now. metal spikes. Oh, Deschambeau does. Oh, anyway, so Kepka, it's a meme going around. Like the look on his face as Deschambeau goes, but they don't like each other. Well, um, this must have been during a practice round because uh, Bryson's out there uh, swinging in uh, shorts, but uh, he's he's swinging on the tee and he hits it, and somebody calls him Brooksy. Yells like, way to go, Brooksy! <laughs> and DeChambeau immediately says, oh, the guy says, all right, Brooksy. And then DeChambeau immediately says, whoever called me Brooksy's got to get out of here. Wow. So now, every time Bryson gets on the tee, somebody's going to call him Brooksy. Yeah, yeah. Never, never say that you don't like the nickname. Just hope that it disappears, you know? Just move on. But that's somebody else's name. But they're going to call him Brooksy from here on out. I know. But you can see why that might bother him. But kicking people out seems a little extreme. Well, I don't think he called security, Gordon. He was just (laughs) upset by by being called Brooksy, being Uh, trolled by some Brooks Kepka fan. The best way to handle it is just laugh it off. Ignore it entirely. Yeah. That's the best thing to do. Don't respond. <laughs> Don't respond. He's going to have some numbskull calling it Brooksy on every tee box now. <laughs> that guy is going to be like the dude that used to show up with the uh, rainbow wig on and was in every shot on the tee. Or the stupid get-in-the-hole guy. Oh, yeah. Or the mashed potatoes guy. You or any, any of those other idiots that ruin watching golf on television. Uh, now it's going to be nonstop Brooksy. But this one I'm here for. See, because golf is boring. <laughs> it, it, it can be. I mean, I enjoy watching golf, don't get me wrong, but it's it's it, it needs a little drama to spice it up. Like, wasn't life better when Tiger and Phil hated each other? Now they, they're in, life like, a loving better. relationship, and it's just completely <laughs> annoying. It was much well, better when they, like, re- refused to practice together for the Ryder Cup. You so know? you want people to do what that one that one guy was doing in, uh, what was it? Uh, was, uh, was it Happy Gilmore when he was yelling? You can him? expect to see me in the parking lot after the game. <laughs> Uh, oh, but okay. no, 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 I, not, I, that part I don't want. I like that the, the two golfers who are both very good really don't like each other, <laughs> and it comes out. I love it that I love it that Kepka's complaining about how slow DeChambeau is. I mean, uh, it, it, we need a little extra storyline to really grab the interest. So, okay, I like what you're getting at here. And I think it's what you're saying is exactly right. You cannot react to that stuff or else you're going to be in trouble. You're totally in trouble. Yeah. So, but getting back to DeChambeau, what has anyone ever taken a, a, a put a picture side by side of him before and him after? I'm sure they're out there. He said he's aver- he's added 20 to 25 yards to his drive. But he's also added like 75 pounds of muscle, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. What is I can't remember what he looked like before. Did he look completely different? 
He looks skinny. And now he looks like a linebacker. But that's what they used to say about Kepka. Not he doesn't look like that. No. No. So did he roid up? Is that uh, No, I have no idea. I'm not here to throw about those accusations. <laughs> How's the uh, the drug testing in in uh, uh, the PGA Lloyd? Any idea? Uh, I think they do it. I think there is drug testing. Yeah, but they also do the masking, right? Lloyd, by the way, sitting in for Austin for a second here. Well, I don't know. Gordon, how do you mask drugs in a drug test? You tell us. I don't know. All I know you is You sound that, like you uh, know a lot about well, it. Well, I've just been told that it's uh, they're pretty uh, they're pretty advanced in that regard. So I you know I don't know. I think there might be a jealousy factor because DeChambeau is is hitting the ball so far and that's kind of a macho thing in golf, you know. Now, DeChambeau's higher ranked right now than Kepka, but I'd say Kepka's a better player. Uh, well, that's yet to be determined, I guess. Well, I mean, he did, wasn't. How many majors has he won? Uh, more than one. Well, let's see here. I do like I do like a bit of the drama in golf because it's, it's such a gentlemanly game uh, at times, uh, and so it's it's nice to see him. Fired up a little Here, bit. Here's Kepka, and DeChambeau hasn't done anything like this in his career. Okay. Brooks Kepka, uh, since 2000, the 2017 Masters, he's played in 14 major championships, winning four of them, finishing Woo! second twice and placing in the top 10 three more times. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's that's a run. So DeChambeau shows up all muscular, and now uh, Brooksy has a problem with that? I guess, I think I I think the dislike goes back further than the muscles. <laughs> okay, so now people are going to call both of them Brooksy. But that's that's the rule here. If if somebody comes up with a nickname for you and you hate it, just ignore it. Don't say how much you hate it because then it's going to stick. Did you ever have a nickname you didn't like? Uh, not that I can think kind of, of but I'm certainly not going uh, to tell you. <laughs> You've given out nicknames others have not liked. I know that for a fact. You're saying that Bert didn't like his nickname? No, I, he was cool with it. Oh, there's been others? Who? Well, the other guy whose first name was the name he did not care for, you called him by that first name. Oh, he doesn't count. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a nickname. And I don't care for when you call me Hortman. <laughs> I, and by the way, I didn't. Know Captain. You're yeah, Captain Goodtime or Sir. That's my name. Sir. And, you know, that was off the air. I didn't do that on the air. I don't call you Hortman on the air. I don't call my nickname for Hatch his that on the air. Are you sure? Yeah. You're sure? Uh Uh-huh. Somebody else did, though. (laughs) You are the king of nicknames, though. And I love every one of them. See? That's my guy. (laughs) Nice. But if if you—in fact, if you're out there listening and you know Jake, and now you're wondering, what's my nickname? What's my nickname that he has for me? And you don't know it? Oof, watch out. If anybody out there knows any of Jake's past nicknames, please pass them along to us. I really haven't had that many. Really? Uh, what is a nickname for Jake? Jake sound. Jake is nicknaming. Yeah. Did, did anybody call you Jakey? Did anybody call you Scotty? My mom calls me Jakey. That's uh-huh. about it. Jake the Snake. No, that one never. Yeah. I'm not really a the snake type of personality. Anybody call you by your proper first name? Not really, no. no. 
All right. Stay Bartholomew? Tuned. <laughs> we'll have uh, the Not Sports Board next. Bowler at 5. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It's time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Check them out, LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? Well, we're uh, not going anywhere. We're just, this is a story about uh, squandered fortune. Okay. Maybe you've heard this story because this is quite infamous, I guess, amongst the uh, cryptocurrency crowd. But in 2010, uh, a 19-year-old kid by the name of Jeremy Sturdivant, is that how you say it? He uh, noticed a request on an internet form that he could receive 10,000 bitcoins, which at that time in 2010 was valued at $41, in exchange for the delivery of two large pizzas to another guy who had the 10,000 bitcoins. So he filled the order, and he got the two large pizzas, cheese and supreme from Papa John's, by the way. And uh, some people say this is the first physical purchase made with bitcoin in all of history, and they mark it by the Bitcoin Pizza Day on May 22nd. But... This Sturdivant guy, he didn't save the Bitcoins. He spent them on a trip with his girlfriend at the time. But those 10,000 Bitcoin, whatever, would be worth today, Jake, $365 million. Shouldn't have taken that vacation, huh? (laughs) That was one expensive vacation, huh? Yeah, that's rough. Or expensive pizza, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. Uh, The guy said, look, I had no idea that that, uh, Bitcoin was going to, and obviously it's volatile and it goes up and down and whatnot. But the guy who gave him the what would now be $365 million worth of Bitcoin for the pizza says that he has no regrets. He's happy to be a part of... uh, cryptocurrency folklore but two pizzas for what now would be worth 365 million dollars yeah that guy should have a few regrets yeah by the way yeah i don't i, mean, I don't buy that, that, that he's like ah, that no. frank sinatra song regrets i've had a few well this guy has a few million a few hundred million or he should anyway yeah okay I, you know, that's the kind of story that makes people go crazy because they think they start looking around for whatever investment might be that next thing that would bring them a bunch of money. It's like the stories where you hear about someone finding an original copy of the Declaration behind <laughs> some family portrait that they found at a yard sale. Dogs playing poker. Right. So then the rest of their lives, they're the... Metal detector on the beach type personality. <laughs> Always searching yeah. for that thing 
out there somewhere. Or the the person that would go hunt for that treasure that that maniac put in the middle of nowhere. Right. And where people were dying. Where people yes. were dying when while looking for it. Was it where did they find it? Colorado or something? Oh, I can't remember. It was out here. It was out west. Yeah. It was out. It was in the Rockies. Yeah, I think it was, was Colorado. Uh, did some did somebody find it in Wyoming or something? Is that where it was? Well, Jake again, says I thought Colorado. it was Colorado, but I guess it could have been Wyoming. I don't know. Anyway. Well, I, that, that caught my attention. The guy who went ahead and spent the 10,000 Bitcoin said that he went on to spend 100,000 Bitcoin, which would have been $3.8 billion on pizzas alone that summer. It was Wyoming. It was Wyoming. Gordon All was right. correct, yeah. How yeah, much that then, summer? He said he he not only was it the 10,000 Bitcoin, but he said... He spent a hundred thousand Bitcoin just on pizza that summer, <laughs> and that would have come out to three point eight billion dollars. Doesn't everybody? Can everybody <laughs> identify a little bit with that feeling? Anybody who collected cards as a kid—basketball, football, baseball cards—everybody's everybody's got the story. Oh yeah. Well, I had this and this and that, mom but my threw mom away. threw it away. Yeah, and in mine. your case, you took it to the Tribune and yeah. left it, and somebody stole them. No, I didn't say they stole them. It just they disappeared. Maybe were thrown away. Meaning you left them there, and the next time you came to the office was like six months later? Probably more than that. Which means they didn't really I mean a whole I lot had, to I you. I think I had 100,000 Bitcoin in that box somewhere. Yeah, see, everybody And now could, Aaron Falk has it. <laughs> everybody could kind of relate in a way who was a card collector. Because everybody had a Mickey Mantle rookie card until mom spring cleaning uh, got rid of it. You know, I'd be a rich man today. Uh, you know, you bring up a great point. I wonder, do people, like, scour through their attic to look for some treasure that might be undiscovered? I did it recently with the uh, uh, that uh, Mario game. The, the guy found stuffed away in his desk drawer, still in the original wrapping. Do you remember this story? Uh-uh. It, it sold for, like, 300 thousand dollars <laughs> because it was still in the original. He bought it for his kid for a Christmas gift, and someone else also gave his kid, so he... And just forgot about it until like a year ago. So then I, of course, went thumbing through all my video games to see. No, of course not. I played the hell out of those things. <laughs> see, I I mine through stuff all the time looking for valuables, except for it's my like it's somebody else's house, not mine. Oh, well, see, that's why people like. <laughs> <laughs> that's why people like those like sticky that, fingers that on the take, Jake. That antique show where people bring their stuff in, you know, and then the the guys. Say, oh, this is worth two dollars, or this is worth Pawn Stars, is it? Or no, the no, Antiques Roadshow? Antiques yeah. Roadshow, where they bring in one's fast-paced you know, Pawn Stars, and gra- one's on public television. <laughs> Grandma's just uh, of drawers or something, you know. By the way, Pawn Stars, what a scam that show is. That pawn shop is like they they went from uh, you know fencing goods for criminals to there's a line around the block for their store every day just because of a television show. Our guy Don Edwards, who comes out to remotes and calls a lot, he he had a, a an item on featured on that. Really, show. I can't remember what the item was though. But was it worth a lot? I don't I don't remember. But Jake's to Jake's point, they were. 
hawking the mafias, fencing the mafias yeah, stolen goods. They were, and now they're like this phenomenon. They went from people showing up there with a car stereo with the wires hanging out the back of it, you know, what asking, hey, happened? what can I get to for this, too? I've driven by it in Vegas. You know right where it is? There's a line out the darn door. Didn't What happened to the guy that was in that? One of them passed. Well, the the old man. The, the, they the, called him the old man. Yeah, he yeah. was older than kerosene. He's what happened gone. to the other guy? Which the, one? His son. His son. Still, his, going. still owns it, Rick. He's still yeah. going? Yeah. So, uh, Chum so I, Lee's gotten into some I, trouble. I, I'm but. just trying to think of what what you would what would go through your mind if you had once possessed something that was worth $3.8 billion and you no longer possessed it. And you traded it for, you know. About uh, a ham sandwich, twenty pizzas. <laughs> oh, I would need serious help. I'm not the type that would be like, ah, "Well, what a good story to tell at parties." I'd be talking to myself, rocking in the corner. <laughs> Coming up next, Craig Bowler, Jack jumps on the show. Stay tuned. We're talking jazz basketball straight ahead. Ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty. The zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke joining us. So when Donovan Mitchell comes back, Dylan Brooks will probably get that assignment. How does that affect the ability of other guys to create some opportunities for themselves? I think that opens up everything. Like, I just don't think he could take Joe Ingles out of the game the same way if Donovan Mitchell's on the floor because he can't guard both of them. And frankly, Donovan torched Dylan Brooks during the regular season, statistically at least. But Donovan being absent from that game changed everything. I think both psychologically, what the players went through in the six hours before tip-off was certainly different than what they anticipated. And then we just had guys who had bad nights. You go through four days of preparation thinking you're doing one thing and then you get a surprise road bomb, I'm sure it knocks you off your kilter a little. But that didn't help any. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.